Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dental Practice Heroes Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Paul Etchison, and we are having a great conversation today about treatment coordinators. You know, we're talking about presenting treatment, securing finances, and this is not just for the treatment coordinators and the front office team. This is for everybody in the office, as well as you, Doc. We got Kira Dent on, and she is going to go deep with us on all sorts of verbiages and the way we can change our mindset so that we can get better case acceptance. All right, let's do it. The Dental Practice Heroes Podcast. Business, communication, leadership, practice, and life success. It all starts with a hero. It all starts with you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Dental Practice Heroes Podcast, where we believe that armed with knowledge and intentionality, anyone can become the hero that their practice needs and deserves. I'd like to welcome my guest. She has been a dental assistant, treatment coordinator, scheduler, biller, office manager, owner of multiple dental offices, and consults in over 150 dental offices globally. And I am happy and proud to say that I'm a big fan of hers, and she has been in my office as well. Welcome to the podcast, Kiara Dent. Thanks, Paul. This is so fun. We have geeked out about podcasting together, and now it's actually happening. So thanks so much for this. I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, we talked about this for a long time. I mean, I think that was, you were in my office, that was maybe beginning of May. We can't even forget. Easter weekend, do not remember, because your whole team was like, you are having this coming on a Saturday before Easter. I definitely remember exactly when it was. So, I know. Yeah. I know. You're right. Now that you mentioned that, I remember that was an issue. And people are like, and I'm like, I don't know. She was okay with coming, so we're going to have her. So this is what we're doing. Oh, well. Then th- You know what? They got over it, though. And they were all very nice. It and they were, they were happy that you came. It was a really incredible experience. Your office is one of those things like you hear people on podcasts and you, you hear what they say and the things that they they tout around and say, you know, you should do this and you should do that. But honestly, Paul, your practice is fantastic. You've got an awesome culture. You have people that are hungry and eager to implement. And your team was a really receptive team. So I'm going to just butter you up right now. Well, thank you honestly, very much. Everything. You're welcome. Everything that you teach and you practice and you preach, you're actually that way in real life. So guys, if you're wondering, Paul Etchison really is the exact same way in real life. And it, it was really fun to learn and grow with your team. I was very impressed with that. Oh, well, thank you, Kara. I really appreciate that. And you were awesome coming to our team as well. You know, we implemented a new late cancellation, save appointments, trying to get our missed and failed appointments down. And we just got, today is August 1st that we're recording this. And we just got our numbers for July and they have been down every month since we started doing that. So everything you worked with us is totally kicking butt. We're doing awesome. Good, good. That's that's great to hear. I always love, you know, I feel like I'm Johnny Appleseed out in this world and I I plant little seeds and I'm curious what ones will take off, which ones grow and and why certain things will grow or not grow. So happy to hear that things are reporting back and I'm glad you, you came to town though. I mean, we, I put into place some things and then the next day I know I've got like five page document from you step by step. And I was like, Paul, you took this to a whole new level and I, I love it. I've used it many times over. So you really did a fantastic job of, and that's what I liked about it was we took the abstract ideas of this is what we want to do, but then you put it into protocol step-by-step process so your team could easily digest that, which was a lot of fun to see. Yeah. I mean, it was a collaboration for real. And, and I'll just talk about this before we get into our topic is that Kira brought one of the things to my attention that was essentially our 
or missed a late cancel policy. And I thought it was very simple and very easy to implement. And then when she came to the office and we discussed it with the team, there was just, it, it wasn't clear. And I had never realized how just unclear it was. So it was really good to have Kara come to office and help us through that. And she did, we talked about a lot more than that, but highly recommend her. Give her a call. She's fun too. And the team loved her. So, all right. <laughs> well, thanks. So, all right. All right. <laughs> all right. Enough back and forth compliments, right? Let's get yeah, into, let's get into some content. Here. You guys don't know more about Paul and Kira? Okay, this is the Paul and Kira show today, guys. It's going to be great. <laughs> you know what? I'm actually not even recording. This was just for fun. It's fine, guys. I've got the backup <laughs> podcast on my set, and I have been recording. All those edits, yeah, those, yeah. those have been recorded. <laughs> okay, good. I'm just messing around. I'm totally recording. All right, so we want to talk about treatment coordinators. And, you know, some offices would be like, well, I don't really have a treatment coordinator. We're kind of small. No, everybody has a treatment coordinator and all these principles will apply to everybody. So you have been a treatment coordinator. What has your experience been like when you've worked as in that role in the offices? Oh man, I like the treatment coordinator, but it downright scared me when I first started. And it's crazy cool because even doctors, sometimes your treatment coordinators without even realizing it. So in my startup practices, doctors, I turn my doctors into TCs. Small practices, sometimes the OMs, also the TC. And then bigger practices, you should have a dedicated treatment coordinator. But that was one of my favorite positions in the office because it intimidated me so much. I was terrified to talk money. I was scared. Like, oh, can you really afford 500 bucks? Can you afford 5,000? And it, it was something where I it forced me to overcome my fears. It forced me to recognize that I can't project cure dents onto anyone else. There is not another cure dent in this world. And by doing so, I was able to really learn the different words that I use can impact and and either sell treatment or not sell. And let's just get real. We do sell treatment. I a lot of people are like, we're not doing that. I'm like, yes, it is. They're paying for services. So I think if we can just get on board with that, but it's that educational piece, the piece of using the doctor and having the whole team work well, but ultimately TC, we've got a solid job out there to close treatment, to help patients say yes, to make it affordable for them without giving away the farm of the dental practice and making everything free and making sure we collect. So all those pieces are really important. And then having exceptional follow through. So I definitely hated making phone calls. So I think that's what forced me to be a really good TC because I didn't want to follow up with people. So I just learned how to close cases the first time because I, I really, anyone who knows me knows I don't care to make phone calls. So that was probably my motivation to get good at it. But it's a real fun world to be in for, to help your doctors. It's fun to close those huge cases and like go back and give them that, that look of, you know, I just closed your biggest case today. And it's also really fun. It's super fun to see the patients who did not think that they could afford treatment or not afford something or their whole life. They've thought that they could only have a flipper or a removable and find a way to give them this whole implant case, restorative case and make it financially affordable so that it's really taking their dreams and making them a reality. That was a very, very, very fulfilling thing for me to do. And it's cool. You know, you said one thing that I kind of want to talk about a little bit more is that you said you were projecting Cara Dent on everybody. Can you explain what you meant by that a little more? Yeah, for sure. I think we all do this. Not I think I know. We we come from our own background and our history. And Paul, in your practice, <laughs> we showed pictures of different people. And I don't know if you remember, but people project who they are. So we, we flashed up all these different pictures of different people. And I'd say, tell me your first assumptions about this picture. And What's your assumption about this picture? And I made the fatal mistake of putting up a picture of Dr. Mark Costas, and people didn't know it was Mark. And I was like, I won't do that again. <laughs> Did you ever tell him what people said? <laughs> no, I never said a word. All right. I won't, um, I won't tell him either. <laughs> I, 
it's fine. I'll say some people thought he was like this snooty businessman. Some people thought that he was this really nice coach. It was kind of crazy. The different things that people said about someone that they didn't know. Obviously Paul and I were like, it's Mark. It's our best friend. Like that's, that's who I see when I see Mark. Literally Mark is one of my absolute best friends. And, but the projection is that I think everyone has this rainbows and sunshine perspective on life because that's how I am. Or if I'm having a bad day, everybody is having a bad day or everyone has been raised in a family of seven kids where their mom couldn't afford to do ortho on all of us. And so care credit is her anti, she hates care credit. And so obviously everybody hates care credit or just because I can't afford $500 today, it doesn't mean that Paul can't afford $500 today. And so I would project, and I watch TCs do this a lot. I watch a lot of doctors do this. I coached an office yesterday and the doctor's like, well, they can't afford this. And he said, who are you to assume that? Who are you to judge that? And that's the projections that we put on people constantly thinking that we are all living the same, the same lives as each other. And as much as we try to get rid of those assumptions and projections, we have to realize that that's part of human nature. And so recognizing that that's part of human nature, battling that and combating that in a way of a simple tactics that I started doing of just, I assume every patient wants the treatment a hundred percent. And I'm going to go with that because if I, if I assume that I'm going to get a lot more yeses, I'm going to get a lot more happy patients as opposed to assuming nobody can afford this. All they can do is insurance based because then I live in a world of no's and not a world of yes. So, you know, one thing I remember from when you came is that we had you had one picture up there and we were talking about like, oh, maybe she's in college. You know, she probably doesn't have a lot of money. She probably can't afford anything expensive. And then one of my hygienists, Kala, had mentioned when she was in hygiene school that she didn't have any money and she worked at a bar and she didn't make anything, but she really wanted Invisalign and she figured out a way to make it happen, to make the payments or to come up with the money or whatnot. So we, we all had these stories where people have surprised us, but how many surprising stories have we not heard because it's just the fact that we're assuming that this person can't afford this or they're not interested in it. So what you're saying is that the way around it is just to more or less just be aware of it and just assume the yes with everybody. Absolutely. I mean, and that ties to your hygienist. Assume every patient wants fluoride. Assume every patient is going to say yes to SRPs. We're already assuming that they're not going to. Why not spin that to assume that they will do it and see how many yeses, just like you said, how many of those yes stories are we missing out on? And I use the example of if you were to go to the doctor and let's say you have some terrible disease and the doctor looks at you and like, Kira cannot afford this, vitamin C. Vitamin C is the treatment for you because you can afford that $2 bottle at Walmart. Like that's so terrible that you're passing those judgments upon me when maybe I could find it. I mean, I've had patients say, I've got like, I don't know if you remember Paul, but I had each of you take on a different identity. <laughs> I think you were a farmer. <laughs> And that was, I just giggled when I gave you the farmer card because I thought it was just funny. <laughs> but I had every person take on a new a new identity. So you were a different person with a different pay. So no matter what you looked like on the outside, you were somebody else. And then I also walked around with different life cards. So for example, your hygienist, she had a ways that she could find to pay for that ortho that she really wanted. Just because I'm a single mom with two kids doesn't mean that I don't get an awesome tax return at the end of the year and I could pay for it at that point in time. Other things like people have side jobs. When Jason was in pharmacy school, I seriously walked around. I rented my house out on Airbnb at the Super Bowl. I had some crazy Canadians live with me. It was a total sketch situation, but hey, we made a few extra bucks. It was awesome. I went around with my friend and we were washing windows 
that was how I would make money. I would literally have this little spiel like my husband's in pharmacy school and we're trying to make a little extra cash. Can we wash your windows? I washed a ton of windows. I also did this organic, like wholesome dog food company, which was disgusting. It just means it's raw cases of meat in Arizona that are like dripping and nasty and they smell horrible and like infuses into your pores. So when you go home, you still smell like it. We definitely did that job for a while, but there are ways and there's always ways for people to find it when they want to. But yet if we don't offer it, the answer is always no. Or if we assume they're going to tell us no, that, that becomes our reality. Coach one time told me, Kira, you create your own reality. So what reality are you creating? Because I was in pharmacy, so I'm like, we're so poor, we're so poor, we're so poor. And she's like, that's your reality. You are poor. Finally, I was like, we're in pharmacy school and we're going to go to Europe because I want to travel so badly. And while we were in pharmacy school, one income, and we were not living on student loans at all. We sold our cars. We had bikes. We were so, like, we were so poor. We didn't even turn on the AC. But I was able to find a way to pay in full out of our own pockets to go to Europe twice in pharmacy school. And I, I feel like that's the same thing with treatment. When people really want it and we offer it, there's always a solution. And I think when you believe that as a treatment coordinator, as a doctor, as a hygienist, that there's always a solution and people really do want what we're offering because we're not these sleazy doctors trying to convince them into something bad. Right. People really will say yes to you a lot more often than you might think that they will. Gosh, you know, it's so true. And, and we had somebody come in. We do these makeover giveaways. We do it for Mother's Day every year. And a bunch of people send us pictures and their cases. And we pretty much just help somebody out that seems like a good person. And we had one person in that we didn't pick, but we said, just come in for a consultation. At least we can kind of look at it and see what needs to be done. And she either needed to go into a denture or do like all 12 units that she had left on her top. And she's crying. I can never afford that. I don't want to wear a denture. And I, I shit you not, maybe, man, two months later, she came up with like, Nine or ten thousand dollars, and I don't know where the hell she came up with it from. But <laughs> and, and then she, I did like this, like four units for free from her. I was like, I'll just do the other four units. Like I'm just happy, you know. Let's just do it. But it was awesome. And I, if I was sitting across from this person, I had to say, and I could tell, like, I mean, she had written to us and said that she was financially challenged, and yet I presented to her just like she was, just like everybody else. Well, if you don't want a denture, this is what's going to take. This is about what's going to cost, and this is what we can do, and this is what's possible. And I think that's just how we need to. We need to stress that not only with our treatment coordinators, but with with everybody. Because, I mean, everybody, not just the treatment coordinator in the front desk, everybody's guilty of that, right? Totally, 100%. And when you said that, I think it's at least letting them know their options. I was talking to Ryan Isaac with Reese Harper. And Ryan, I said, okay, Ryan, if I wanted to retire at 43, so that means I don't work another day in my life. This is literally a hypothetical conversation we had the other day. I said, if I wanted to do that, Ryan, what would it take for me to get there? And he gave me some like astronomical number and I wrote it on my whiteboard and I was like, Hey, I need to have this much by 43 in order to retire. And yet had he never told me, I would never know. I wouldn't know like that lady, had you never told her, this is what an implant costs. A lot of times they think it's, I mean, the amount Ryan told me is a lot less than I was expecting. I was expecting like a hundred million or I always feel like it's more (laughs) (laughs) right. Like, but yet when we put it out there, then it looks at it and people can then start to figure out and come up with solutions and find ways. I mean, my mom, she's wanted to get her master's for her entire life. And gosh, she just turned 60 and she'll be mad that I even admitted her age, but (laughs) she, she just found a way to do college. And then she thought she had some financing set up and then found out at the last minute it wasn't set up. And so my mom figured out all these different little solutions so quickly 
because she wanted it so much. And there's always a solution there. And it was crazy to even watch my mom just recently this week go through this whole process to find it. And she's like, Kira, I found this. And I started thinking about this. And we start thinking in different ways than we had been thinking before. Because now it's a goal. It's, a, it's something that we could obtain. And a lot of times I think we, when people say no initially or I can't afford that, a lot of times they're just projecting without even knowing the true facts of how they could actually make it affordable. Right. And I, I think a big thing that I want to kind of change gears and talk about is that a lot of people, when you, and this is the role of the treatment coordinator, is to make it work for the patient. Now, if I said, hey, you want, you want to do veneers? Let's do eight veneers. Hey, it's $9,000. A lot of people might be like, oh, well, not, no, not really. But your job as the treatment coordinator is to find out and find a payment that works for them. So how should we be presenting finances? And I think that's a question a lot of people wonder, should we not show, like, should we just do one treatment plan that shows the final number? Should we not itemize? Do we go through what the write-offs are and what your discount is and all this? What should our treatment coordinator do when they have a treatment plan and they're going to present it to a patient? Yeah, that's a really, a really good question. I think for everyone, get into your groove of what works and try different things. Had I always done the thing that I would, I used to do, I would never have been able to close a 30 or 50 or $80,000 case. That would never have been my reality because who I was at that time could not encompass the capacity that I needed to be. I had to learn some different skills to get to that level. So I say try different things for different people. Everyone has their groove and their rhythm. What I found that worked for me the best, and guys, I just threw myself back in the TC chair in an office in Cincinnati, Ohio. I've tried it just to make sure that I haven't lost my magic touch and it wasn't like, oh, this worked a few years ago, but it doesn't work anymore. So just try these things out. And my preferred method is, it depends. If you're doing like crown and bridge and fillings and you're kind of doing the, the bread and butter dentistry, my preferred method of showing that is is kind of visit by visit, but letting them know how many visits they need to come back for. And I also say, keep it super simple. When you go into all this this information, we do information overload on our patients. Like here's this write-off and here's this insurance. Like end all, be all, most people consume knowledge. This is most, it's not all. But most people like to be educated enough to where they don't feel stupid, but not so much that they could write an essay on it and get a perfect A plus on it. So keeping it very simple, very basic for them. But when I'm doing like implant cases, I go for the final total. Yeah going to be over a few months and this is your total. We're talking about buying a boat today. That's what we're doing. And that's kind of my two differences that I do. But what I always recommend is you go for, you also watch the way you lead this treatment plan. So if you're leading with, okay, insurance, and that's the first thing out of your mouth, guess what? The patient's only going to focus a lot on insurance. You've created a reality around insurance. I do not believe insurance is awesome. I think insurance is a super awesome, incredible, terrible coupon. That's all they are. They are real nice in making you think that they're super helpful and they're not helpful at all. So I go through, okay, Dr. Paul recommends that we do some crowns and fillings. We've got about four appointments that we're going to do this in. The first one's going to be, this is what it's going to be. And this will be your total. Some people like to, and sometimes I would show all four visits. This is your total. However, we're just going to focus on this top one. This is going to be the total amount when I see you on Wednesday. Does that work for you? I don't go into all the financing options. Some people love to have like a financial menu. I don't like that because I like to have some aces in my pocket that I can pull out to offer to them. I've also watched when people present like, okay, so Paul, you can do $500 and we can do 50-50. I can put you on a payment plan. You can pay it over seven months. You can do it in 
You don't even have to pay anything. You can just pay when you show up. And we go through all of our different financing options. It can be a little overwhelming. And also, Paul, you might be totally fine to pay 100% up front, but yet I didn't even give you an opportunity to say yes or no to me on that. And I watched TCs. I think I think their number one, I don't want to say fatal mistake, but it is a, a pretty big one that I constantly am watching. And I think it's just a lack of, of knowledge and also just the way that we've been trained. But I think we over talk. And so instead of just presenting, here's the total, this is what Dr. Paul recommends, your insurance is pretty rad, they're going to help us out, and they're estimated, always use the term estimated, they're estimated to cover 100 bucks, maybe your total out of pocket is going to be 400 when I see you on Wednesday, does that work for you, Paul? Paul's going to tell me yes or no. At that point, if he tells me no, then I say, hey, Paul, no problem, thanks for letting me know. My job is to find a solution, and I believe there's always a solution to help you out with this. What ballpark were you looking for? Let me find a solution that works for you. And in doing that, Paul then tells me, hey, I can afford $100 a month. Beautiful. I'm going to go this route. Or, hey, I can do 50 bucks a month. Or, you know, I could do like 500 or 400 or whatever it is. But then it puts it in the patient's mind. But as TCs, a lot of times we get super nervous that when we present that total and look Paul in the eyes and say, does this work for you? And if he doesn't respond immediately, we think he's about to break up with us and reject us and tell us, no way, I'm not doing this. We start talking again. And they always say, once you present that treatment plan, the next person who speaks loses. So be silent. Paul's just trying to figure out in your head, like, okay, can I afford $400 on Thursday? Or do I need to move some money to a different bank account? Or you're trying to find all those solutions on your end. And then we can find a way to make this work for you together. So that's my personal preference. When I'm doing big cases, I present the whole thing. Sometimes I will present the whole thing if there's like two or three visits. But if we're talking like whole mouth reconstruction, you're looking at a 20 grand and you're only like, you've got a lot of visits going on for all these fillings and whatnot. That one I, I tend to break up because I, I want to make sure that they actually come back and work, work through that treatment plan with me as opposed to going through every piece. With my implants, I do not have every single little piece itemized out on my treatment plan. I make dummy codes and it would say visit one is extraction and placement. Visit two is going to be impressions. Visit three is delivery. And it's just broken up into three very simple amounts so the patient can see that. And those are my two preferred methods on that when you talk finances and the way you present. But being very confident and assuming they'll say yes to me is probably the, the first and foremost thing to always remember on that as well. Well, you know, something else that you said, and I want, I want to touch on two things that you said is, well, one is the filling the silence. And, and it's so hard because we just don't want to sit there and it's awkward. And would just somebody say something and then we just want to like fill it. We want to, we want to put, when the patient just sits there silent, we want to say something. And I think one of the most powerful things that I've learned is just with the treatment case presentation. And I'm not speaking about finances because I'm rarely doing things with finances, but I mean, I will always ballpark with patients. Say it's going to be about this much just trying to, funnel them down to something. I call it silence chicken. It's like the two cars drive into each other and the first one that turns away loses. You just sit there and you, you ask them a question or you tell them and then you just wait. We always say who next person that speaks loses, but it's a hard thing to do. But once you start doing it, I mean, and, and you can kind of chime in on this a little bit, it, it was uncomfortable for maybe, I don't know, three or four times that I did it. And then after that, it just became very normal. Exactly. 100%. It's only awkward the first two times you've done it because every other time you've never stopped talking. But then you're just like, it is it's literally that chicken and you know, you know, it's going to happen. So you just, you smile, smile at them. They will talk, they will speak, they will give you an answer because it's awkward for them as well. But it's really that, that silent chicken. I love how you said that I'm going to start using that because that's literally what it feels like 
but it's only awkward for, like you said, one or two or three or four times. It's not every single time it's awkward. You hold strong. One thing you said, and I, I heard it in your voice, is that you're going in with the attitude that you are going to make this happen for the patient. But occasionally, it may not even be. If we ask doctors, you know, why do your patients say no? Oh, well, it's because of money. But a lot of times, it might be because of some other objection that we never really find out what exactly is holding the patient back. So, do you have some questions that our team or team members or we could just use with our patients to try to hopefully maybe elicit an objection so that we can attend to it and try to get the patient over it? I mean, are there any questions that you use? Yeah, for sure. I snagged this from a dental office that I went to, and I think I shared it with you guys when I was there. But sometimes, even in the back ops, you can ask them, you know, as a patient, are you more interested in, in aesthetics? Are you more concerned about function? Are you more concerned about cost? What's kind of your driving? reason with your mouth like what is it or oh longevity was the fourth one and when somebody said those to me I had never realized that cosmetic and aesthetics and longevity were my two driving forces with my mouth so that's something as doctors and and hygienists you can you can pre-prompt that information in the back you can just say like hey we just want to make sure that Dr. Paul diagnoses the way that's in with your mouth like let's find out what you're looking for what of these four things are your top priority that can help prompt in the front Front office, you can also ask those questions. So when you present it, you can also find out like, okay, let's talk about it. What are your concerns with this treatment plan? That's an easy way to find out what's going on. When people jump into financing solutions, it's not always like you said the reason. So a lot of times I say, I hear in a lot of offices, they'll say, okay, Paul, do you have any questions for me? That's a very close-ended, that's a yes or no. You're going to tell me no. You're pre-programmed when you walk in the dental office to say no. They don't want to shop. They don't want a filling. They don't want to pay money. So just know they want to say no. But if you can say, okay, Paul, what questions do you have for me on this? I want to make sure I find the solution for you. What questions do you have? That's really my easiest way to find out what they're looking for. And I'm not assuming. If I start popping into financing options, that might not be what you actually need. You might need more education on why. Other things are, okay, what questions do you have about your treatment today? Or, okay, if cost wasn't an issue, what would you want to do? Are you looking for more long-term? Are you looking for something permanent? Are you looking for something removable? What are you looking for long-term? Let's find the long-term solution for you and make it. There's always, there's always a way that we can make it work. Let's find that for you. But those are the prompting questions that I found when I asked, what questions do you have for me and then let's find the solution for you. Those tend to help give me an insight to what they're looking for without me assuming or projecting any excuse. Because when I throw out the money thing, that's a very easy thing for patients to hide behind. When they might just think that we, we didn't have it together and we're not, hey, what on earth is a crown? Or why do I need an implant? Or what do I even need to have done? They don't even know what's going on. So even before I present a treatment plan, a lot of times I'll say, okay, so perfect. What questions do you have on, on the treatment plan? It sounds like we're getting some work done, or let me know on the handoff. I'm really big on having handoffs come up with saying, Dr. Paul wants number two and number three crown and fillings done first. He needs to see her back in two weeks for about 30 minutes. So the patient should already know by the time they get there. And then I say, awesome. I'm so excited. Dr. Paul is the best at doing crowns and fillings. You are so lucky. What questions do you have on that treatment plan? And they'll be like, oh, what's it going to cost? Or do I really need this crown? Or but prompting with that question of what questions do you have? can be a good way to help out with that. And if we say, okay, here it is. Okay, do you have any questions? It's always no. Nope. And I don't know who told me this, and I can't remember, but it's like they said, when you say, do you have any questions, you're really just saying, I am now done with you. Are you also done with me? 
That's what you say when you want to end it, when you want to get out of the conversation. And I think a lot of treatment coordinators and just general front office staff, is, it's, it's an uncomfortable thing to present money. And sometimes we just want to present it and say, okay, do you have any questions? And they say no. And we say, okay, great. Did you want to schedule? And they go, no, I'm just going to think about it. And we go, cool. Oh, it's so good talking to you. Good to see you. And, the, and then they walk away and they say, wow, I, I, that was a success. I did it. But it's a totally different angle, what you're talking about, trying to get the patient. And it's not that we're trying to push them and persuade them to do something that they don't want to do, but we want to make sure that if they have any objections that we can handle them. If, the, if there's something they don't understand, we can clear that up. If they want it, but it's financial, we help them. So I, I like how you, you come at it from the standpoint of the a patient advocate. Like someone just, I'm going to do this, and this is for the patient. This is for the good of the patient. So my question, I know that was a little long-winded, is what would you recommend that we say to our teams to kind of, and we already talked about the assuming the yes and don't project, but how do we get them comfortable being in that advocate role rather than just a robot that shows them and just runs out of the room and gets out of that uncomfortable conversation? (laughs) When you were saying that, I started thinking when you say like, it's uncomfortable to talk money. I wanted to chime in and say, but why? We've created that reality. Is it really uncomfortable? And, And I asked that question not in a negative way at all, but, but when you see that, like, it's uncomfortable talking money. And I think about it, I think, why? Because in the past, as a dental office, guess what? Insurance used to be super, 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 super fantastic. And they used to cover 90% of dentistry. That was in the past. Well, guess what? We are now 2019 and times have changed and insurance doesn't cover everything. And we have advanced and we have evolved as a society. So just because in the past, Patients used to get billed for their, their balances because they used to not hardly have any balances. Well, let's look at other changes in industry. Look at hotels. It used to be super, super weird to put a credit card on file. Now it's no big deal. Of course, you're going to put a credit card on file. That's probably pretty weird. Go back in time even further. When you used to go buy groceries, you had a tab. Back in the olden days, you'd have a tab at the grocery store for getting flour. And you'd just go on your tab and you'd walk out of the store with your groceries. That does not exist today. Period. You don't go to Walmart or Target and walk out of the store with your groceries and say, put it on my tab. And so I think we've told ourselves that it's weird to talk about money. But in every other industry, they had to evolve as well. They had to get to a point where putting a credit card on file was not weird. Where having you pay for your groceries before you left the grocery store was not weird. And so I think we create this reality for ourselves that talking money is uncomfortable. Guess what? It's not. We're doing a service and they pay for it. Period. That's all it is. And I know I sound that like, it's so easy. It really can be that simple. Like People are like, here, you're high in the sky. You're happy-go-lucky over here. But I really do believe we're providing services. We are doing an awesome service in our practice. And guess what? We get paid to do our job just like you get paid to do your job. So this is something. And all we need to do is retrain our patients. So that would be the first thing of talking money is not hard. It's only hard if we make it hard. And we, we make it hard because we're afraid of rejection. That's really the bottom underlying piece. Nobody wants to be rejected. And so we get scared of people telling us no. So a mind shift could be there's always a solution. And that was what helped shift me. When I realized, Kira, no matter what, you know you can find a solution for this patient. You guys, I have had patients where they put money into a reserve, kind of like layaway, where they put money in the dental office until they can afford a crowd. So we just take 50 or $100 every single month until they can afford 50% of that crown. And then they start paying for it that way. Like once I realized that truly, no matter what, I think there's been maybe one or two people that have walked through my path that I could not find a solution for. 
And I don't say that cocky and like, oh, guys, I'm so rad. It's, it's literally just, hey, I realize that there's always a solution. And when you believe that there's always a solution, that's when you flip to patient advocate. And I'm not advocating that we're only doing things for insurance only because I don't believe that that's advocating for a patient. I believe that's being lazy and only going for what's a 100% guaranteed slam dunk. So when you can get away from that, like insurance is a super cool, not very great coupon. Let's maximize that out for you this year. But at the same time, I know that if you don't do this treatment, it's never going to be more predictable or less expensive than it is today. Like I know that for sure. And Dennis just gave me a great example. They said, when there's like decay or fractures in teeth, it's kind of like a crack in a windshield. We don't know when it's going to crack, but we know it's going to crack. And I love that analogy. And I think that that's how you go to patient advocate. And when I can look at it and say, hey, I'm like your best friend. We're going to find a way to make this work for you. And there's a solution. And my job is to help you find it and to feel so great and so empowered when you leave here. And it's not just going to rely around insurance. That's a slam dunk. And I'm not just a slam dunk person. I'm going to get the slam dunk when it's hard, when it doesn't feel like there's a solution, when they don't think there's a solution. And we're going to find it together. And it's going to be awesome. That's why I think you can flip to that patient advocate mindset. And it's a sweet win because you're also an office advocate, but you're doing it for the patient. And then the, the office benefits by doing good, good services to the patient. So you know what I like about what you're saying is that you're giving tips and you're giving verbiages, but ultimately at the core of what I hear you saying is just a mindset going into the, the interaction, the relationship with the patient with a different mindset than most people go with it. And would you say that even just at the most basic foundational level, the lowest hanging fruit would just be to change our mindsets of how, how we think about money and how we think about these discussions? Totally, 100%. But I think that that's one of those things you'll get pushed back on calls where it's like, okay, I've got to do visualization or okay, I've got to do meditation. Like those are real simple, but they're not easy. So, okay, I'm just supposed to change my mind. So I think it's more, yes, absolutely. But how do you do that? You start acting in that way. You start assuming every patient will say yes, and you tell yourself that no matter what, there's always a solution that's not just regarding insurance, and you're going to find it. Right there, by doing that and really committing to those two things, that almost forces that mind shift change. I wasn't this way. It was super hard for me. I looked like I was 12 when I started presenting treatment plans, and I looked at people like, yeah, I know I don't look like I can drive a car, but pay me $5,000. This (laughs) is real weird for me. I've got freckles and braces and hi, here I am. Let's talk about this super awkward. But at the same time, I had to work on those things. And also, I am a real competitive person. I did not want my patients to leave without having a solution. And I didn't want my case acceptance to be low. I felt like if my case acceptance is low, that means I'm not working hard enough to find the solution. And that's what that number started to mean to me. So, so yes, definitely at the core of it is mind shift change. And this is how to go get that mind shift change. But you have to try walk into that uncomfortable zone realize talking money is not hard and it's not scary. It's just money. Money is only a tool to pay for services rendered. And that's exactly what's happening there. It doesn't mean it's their status. It doesn't mean how rich or wealthy they are, how poor and underserved they are. It doesn't mean any of those things. Money is just something that we've attached emotion to. And that's why we get crazy with it. If we can realize money is simply a tool to pay for services and we're going to find that solution, Let's do it together. It becomes a lot more empowering. Gosh, I love that. That just—I I hope doctors, you are having your team listen to this episode because this is just an awesome one, especially for the front staff that's presenting the treatment. Okay, Trier, we are just—we're rocking and rolling on time in here. So I'm going to move on to our next segment where we celebrate that all of us are human, that none of us are perfect. Kira Dent, are you ready to get real? 
Uh, yeah, sure. Let's, let's do this. Why not? Everybody get down. It's about to get real in here. What is the biggest struggle at your practice or business right now, and what are you doing about it? Oh, man. Let's be real. Reactivation has been kicking my trash. And you'd think I'd be darn good at this because I coach offices. <laughs> but <laughs> and you think I'm real good at doing my numbers and watching that. Reality is, and I think the bigger core of it, so this is the answer to it, was I'm constantly on the road as a business owner. So there's no one watching the business. That's my job. And I'm not manning my post. I'm actually out there in the field, which is great. And I love doing it. But there's nobody sitting at home watching these numbers. So what we implemented is you guys are super lucky. You have dental CPAs out there that can use scorecards for you. My world's a little different. And there's, I haven't been able to find a CPA or a bookkeeper to build a scorecard for me to see. So I coached my CPA on what I wanted for a scorecard. So every month when I get my numbers, I can now see. We also implemented Monday.com, which is a fantastic resource. I love it. So it lists all my clients, all my consultants on my team, and it actually lists our reappointment percentages. And we actually just executed and implemented. I hired another person whose sole responsibility is over client retention and reactivation and making sure we're doing the best, the best care for them. And we have flowcharts, we have automated emails, we have if something happens and they don't say yes, they fall into this this campaign, and that's what we're doing to fix it. But and then every single week we have it reported of what our reappointment percentage is for consultants having a KPI and then a monthly self assessment to fix that. So well, I, you are on I decided, it. <laughs> I decided to start taking my own advice and doing it. But let's be real, I'm like, oh man, I gotta look at this. I don't want to look at this. That's real honesty. I looked at my reappointment percentage, like this is gross. I feel so blessed because I have so many clients that refer and they recommend us and I get on podcasts and I would go see clients. But then because we were just inundated with so many new clients, I felt like we were losing them through the cracks. And it was just that like, like you just ate at me. And we were like a 22% reappointment rate. And I was like, this is terrible. Like I would fire myself if I was working in an office. I cannot let this. So we have now slowly been, been climbing up, reactivating, helping the consultants figure out a better plan and process to, to avoid that. And now we are up to, I feel pretty proud of us, up to 50% in our quarterly. Our quarterly rock is to be at 60% by September 30th. So nice, nice. working hard on it. Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds you like you're working hard on it. Holy cow. That's a good so system. That's a big system. <laughs> so embarrassing. I wrote a protocol, Paul, a real detailed one. <laughs> the hardest part is the implementation, right? It's not the ideas, it's oh, the implementation. I'm so good at the ideas. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, question number two. If you could go back in time to the beginning of your career, what do you wish you could tell yourself? When you have multiple businesses, make sure you have separate tax IDs, separate bank accounts, separate credit cards, separate bookkeeping, because it's a real ugly mess when you get them very combined. So if I could go back in time, I would have 100% done that. And I also would have said, I feel like I was trying to keep my payroll expenses super low. I wish that I would have brought in like a personal assistant sooner in my life. And then having them very specific, I, I felt like I multitasked a lot of people with a lot of different tasks to where they were kind of sucking at everything. And they weren't able to excel because I had too many things in too many different directions. So those two things, it was was a real hard lesson to unravel my books. And I see dental offices do this all the time. They get a second location and they're all mixed together in one one bank account. They've got all their tax IDs. They've got all their bills coming to the same place. And then you you have offices and businesses that are hiding, that are not doing as well as you think they are because they're hiding under the success of another practice or business. 
So definitely having those separated out. Yes, your wallet's going to look great. You're going to look like your super money bags because you've got 75 credit cards in there. But it's awesome because it's one credit card per company. And you feel ridiculous with how many you have in there. But it makes it so much cleaner for you. And then making sure you you don't overhire, but you also don't underhire. I think that was a something I wish I could have told myself a few years ago. Yeah, I think a lot of people, and not just, I mean, this is every industry. I, I'm thinking about my brother-in-law's. They have a construction company, and they're just so slow to hire anybody. They're still doing everything, like invoicing, paying bills, and they're doing it all start to finish. And they just don't see the value. We're not big enough to do that, but I, I just think it's almost like you flip it on the other side. You can't get big until you set that infrastructure down so i don't have totally. i want a personal assistant i don't have one i don't know if i could keep oh, get one Mar- 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 you can't afford it <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what to Mar- do with them mark Mar- inspired me it's super cool i did a podcast just recently on the dental team about personal assistants i, oh, I, gotta I listen literally to that just one. did a break yeah but just for you guys who if you don't want to go back and listen to it you're more than welcome to but the way i figured out what to do was I brain dumped every single task on my plate in that current moment. So I took like 15 minutes and just wrote every single thing down that I needed to get done. And then I went back through, Mark talks about this all the time. He does it time journaling. That took me way too much time and I like lost interest in it. So this is how I do my version of it is just brain dump and then quickly find the solution. I went back through and highlighted only things that I personally could do. Only, only Kira. And it was only about 5% of that entire list. And then I looked for the easiest task to pass off. And that's why I started passing them off to an assistant. And it was crazy because the second I did that, yeah, I ended up in a few airports for longer than I had anticipated being in. And had I booked it myself, I probably would have had a less than ideal layover. But the, those are some some hard growing pains. I, I definitely had a few of those. But that just made me, it forced me, instead of taking it back on, I told myself, no, you can't take this back on. You have to find a better system and you can figure that out. So that's how I started using a personal assistant. And then I think it's once you get you get used to having a personal assistant. Oh, heaven help us all. You're done for because you all like your spouse becomes your personal assistant. Your friends become your personal assistants because you have somebody constantly at your fingertips that will just take on all those little random projects that you can't get done that just build up that take time that you don't actually have to do, but they're on your list because nobody else could do it. That's the beauty of the personal assistant. Love it. If any team members are listening and you don't like the doctor you work for and you want to be my personal assistant, DentalPracticeHeroes at gmail.com. Okay, question number three. Right, yes, we're, we're also looking. Come over to the LA team. We're always looking. Come on over. All right. I'm a super rad bosses here. You heard how great Paul is at the beginning, so clearly head on over. You know, I, I love some words that you use, and I'm, I'm going on a tangent because I'm just having fun with you, but you talked about <laughs> grocery tabs, which I didn't even know that was ever a thing. So I was like, huh, how old is Kira? But then you started using rad. I've heard you say rad a few times, and I'm like, okay, all right, okay. This old grocery maybe. Maybe she's not in her sixties and knows about these grocery stores that I didn't even know exist, you know. So, so you got rad as. Don't you watch old movies? It's probably because I grew up in like my husband says my family was like in a time capsule in like nineteen twenty, and that's all the movies I watched growing up. (laughs) So, I mean, like Pollyanna and Turtlenecks were super rad in my day. Jason's like, where have you been, and why? Why are you in a time capsule of like old time life? (laughs) So that's probably where my grocery tab. I'm, I'm 33. 33 is the best year because I love the number three. So. Oh, I guess. You know, and I, there you go. When you were in my office, you referenced Pollyanda, and I think, I think about 25 <laughs> of us had no idea what the hell you were talking about. <laughs> Fine. Paul, how old are you? Am I older or younger? Than I you? am 38. You're younger than me. 
Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, okay. I ain't getting that moment. Well, grocery tabs, go go pull out an old like gun smoke movie or something, and they're like, put it on my tab as they walk out with their huge thing of wheat. But I mean, I was just watching Anne of Green Gables because we're headed up to Prince Edward Island, and I made Jason watch Anne of Green Gables from like way, way, way long time ago. So there you go. It's because I was a redhead and made fun of all of my life, and Anne of Green Gables just resonated with me. So there you go. There's, there's my knowledge for you. Oh my gosh! Did, did I even ask any, you the third any, question yet? I don't. I forgot where we were here. No, you didn't. Okay, let's get let's let's get back on track here. We're gonna okay. we're no, never gonna end this fall. podcast. I mean, we still, we got seven questions to go here, Kira. Come on, we okay. Seven questions to go. Okay, we're I'll focused. Do shorter answers. I'm on it. <laughs> okay. Fire. Okay. Share a story where you learned a valuable business lesson from an experience or the hard way. Hmm. A story. Oh gosh. My story is on firing and. I learned this lesson the hard way. I knew somebody needed to get out of my practice and we did not fire when we should have. We let it drag on and drag on and drag on. And as fate would have it, it was a real good lesson. It was my first fire of my career. And this is terrible. It was a bad moment. I giggle about it because it was so atrocious. I had hired another hygienist to come in and replace the one that I was going to fire. Before you fired her? could not be there. Yeah, but she couldn't be there for about a month. So I had to keep the one I was going to fire. I'm shocked. If this girl ever listens to my podcast, like send me a letter. I am so sorry. So probably never reach out to me again. I always get nervous. Like I'm going to run into these people one day. I actually had a girl. I'm tangenting right now. I had a girl that used to work for me in an office start watching our dental 18 training videos and she was like carrie you will not believe it in my dental practice we are watching your face and you used to be my office manager and i was like oh snap (laughs) here we go full circle so this i had hired another hygienist she was moving in and it was taking her a month before she would leave her job move states and come in and so i had it all set to go i did not have one-on-one conversations with this hygienist i was going to fire i kind of hid away from that i shied away from it i wasn't direct I didn't tell her what I wanted. I was like, nope, we're just going to fire her. And her mom ended up passing away the weekend before I fired her. And I felt like the worst person in the world because I knew on Wednesday I was firing her and her mom died on Saturday. Oh, I would have kept her two more months. (laughs) See, you would have. I have another person coming in. I had no space for another hygienist. It was like a ball in motion. I didn't know how to stop it. And so... The second hygienist, so we had two hygienists working, and her friend hygienist in our practice got her a sympathy card because I was like, I'm not doing a sympathy card. Like, that makes it worse. Nope. Our team was really a lot nicer than I was and got her a sympathy card. So she thought we were, like, all on her side. And not kidding you guys, on Wednesday, oh, I felt like she was going to the guillotine and she didn't even know it. And so we pulled her into the office and said, hey, sorry about the timing, but we are also terminating you. And she looked us in the eyes and said, you guys are the worst people I've ever met in my life. I'm on my way to my mom's rosary and you fired me. I definitely felt like the worst person in the world. She definitely kept on our insurance plan, our health insurance plan, for like four months after she quit and was collecting unemployment. So it worked out fine for her in a way. But what I learned from she that had a was, bad week. Don't, oh my gosh, <laughs> it was epic. And I'm like, no one else can have a worse firing experience than Kira Dent. You will never fire someone on their way to their mom's rosary. And And what I realized is I could have avoided all that pain, all that suffering, had I just been willing to have that hard conversation and give her a self-assessment, let her know, hey, if these things don't improve, you and I both will know. No one should ever be confused or wondering when they're being fired. That things should never, ever, ever get there. But I was so chicken to have that conversation. And I learned that one the hard way. And I promised myself, like, I will have that hard conversation, no matter how uncomfortable it is. Because as Mark says, 
your success, and I add in happiness, is directly proportional to the number of uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have. So that was that was my that was my learning lesson, and I wish none of you that same fate. But it taught me a lot really early on in my career to to be direct, to be upfront, and to to give teams clear expectations of what you're looking for, so you don't get into that pickle later on. Gotcha. I think a lot of the team members that were listening to this when you said come over to the dental A team, they're like, "Oh, Kara sounds awesome. I want to go over <laughs> here." And now they're like, uh, "No." <laughs> Guys, that was a long time ago. Okay, we all grow and mature. We can all have one bad day. Okay, and in hindsight, I I think back if I could go back to that day, I wouldn't have fired her. Like, what was I thinking? Like, how selfish and immature I had just become a practice owner. I think I was in a practice ownership like month one. There were so many other fires, and I just feel like Kira Dent, you're better than that. And so that is that's definitely one of those stories. But I think I can now empower anyone else in this world that you will never have a worse firing experience than I've had. So all of you, don't be afraid of it. (laughs) There you go. Good lessons there. Awesome. So before we get into our final question around the sexy six, tell the listeners what you're up to now. Talk about the the A team. If they don't know what that is, talk about, and then you got some internet videos or online videos or online training. Yeah. Talk about that. For sure. Thank you. So we have the dental A team and we have the dental A team podcast, which this one will be shared on as well. And then we have online training. So office managers, treatment coordinators, schedulers, billers, hygienists. We have either a four to 12 week online training, like go in depth. So if you want to learn how to do billing, we have an online one with a workbook. It works you through it with videos and modules. I really felt that we needed written courses to really help teams. What do you do as an office manager? Well, here's a step-by-step course for you. So we have all those courses over there for you guys. We also have team training videos. So we have a bank of, gosh, 150, almost 200 videos. They're drifting out for the rest of this year of just little quick verbiages. And I kept them all real short. So they're between two to five minutes a piece. I dive into how to have these conversations, how to talk money, different ways to schedule. What does a scheduler do? What does an office manager do? The art of silence, how to talk about fluoride. So all those training videos, and it will walk you through and tell you how far your teams have gotten on all of those. A lot of people love those for morning huddles. They're a great little jumpstart to your day. And then we also do in-office and one-on-one coaching calls. So it's tons of fun. We do events as well, like I did for Paul's office. And Jason and I came up with it. You get the code. So it's coaching calls, online training, demonstration, aka in-office, and then we do events. So the dental team has the code. And that's what we're doing with the dental team right now. Nice. Awesome. Exciting stuff. So are you ready for the Dental Practice Hero Sexy Six? You better believe I am. Six sexy questions. All right, what is your favorite quote and what does it mean to you? This is a great question. I have a lot of favorite quotes and I think they all resonate with me at different times in my life, different things that I need. I think the one right now that resonates so well with me, like there's two, there's really two. And actually I have both of them on bracelets because I don't tattoo. If I did tattoo, I'd put both of them on me. But the bracelet that I think is be so good that they can't ignore you. And I work really hard on that. And I tie into that of like by delivering more value than any person expects. And I actually just got one yesterday on a Dove chocolate and it said, be the kind of person that you look up to. And both of those just resonate to me because I believe in if you can give more value than people expect, if you can be that kind of person that, that makes yourself jealous of, of giving back to people, of, of serving them. I mean, I look at Mark Costas as a prime example of this, that man. He has given me the world and he, he's my number one fan. He texted me yesterday like, Kira, you just broke 10,000 downloads in one in one month. And I was like, gosh, like you are my number one fan. And 
you've given me this whole life and this platform and yet you still cheer me on and you still want to give me the world like mark gives me so much more value than i ever feel like i deserve and that's the kind of person i want to be i want to be that person that just delivers so much value to people and gives back to people and makes their life easier for them which is why that quote of be so good they can't ignore you really really resonates with me and then be the type of person that <laughs> that you look up to yourself those are the two and that's that's why because i think when we ourselves are the best version of ourselves we can impact far more people and benefit so many more people than we could ever do by staying in the same realm that we are so i kind of cheated and gave you two but that's good no they were both here. great love them both you know that be so good that they can't ignore you we just rewrote Steve our Martin. yeah we rewrote our mission and vision statements and our vision statement is kind of a play on that and they'd be good. So they'd be, I love that. We, we want to be so good that they can't ignore us. And I just typed it up and I can't remember what it is. Anyway, it's it's in a document. <laughs> That'll never. I like it. Yeah. There's a protocol about it, guys. It's, yeah, really, yeah, it's, it's right. brand new. It's fresh. It's okay. It's a new habit. You're building it. Yes. It. Yes. Okay. All right. So what are you, what are you reading right now? Oh, right now, I actually just finished up Seize the Day on Your Life or whatever it is by Aubrey Marcus. That one I just finished up. So now I'm on to my next one. And the next one. I don't really know which one it's going to be. I'm picking it up. I think I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish Profit first. I'm in the middle of that one as well. Those are my top two right now that I'm in the middle of. Sweet. All right. Recommend a book that all dentists should read. Oh, I know it already. The Go-Giver. That is my mantra in life. That is my number one book that I recommend for anyone. That is going to teach you leadership skills of giving more value than people deserve. It teaches you how to be an incredible leader. But I'm also going to throw in their traction like... Gosh darn it, Gino Wickman is, I've got a crush on him and I don't even know him. That traction book has literally changed my life, changed my practice, changed my businesses, the way you run a level 10 meeting. It will give you traction in your business faster than any other book I've ever read. So those would be my two recommendations. For yeah, those are common recommendations. The Traction one we've had a few times. And then Brian Harris, I believe, was on ooh, maybe like four episodes ago. And he talked about The Go-Giver. And he talked about doing that one as a good uh, team book to give for your team. And I haven't it's read that so one. It's so good. Yeah, I get, that's my next one. It's I, so good. I've got to do it. All right. Recommend a seminar or continuing education. Mm. Okay, I'm going to recommend my own seminar because I think it's going to be awesome. We're going to do Women Dentists Connect, where female doctors are actually coming together with their teams because I think that is a big area that's underserved and people aren't people aren't there. So we're doing Women Dentists Connect in October in Scottsdale. But I also would strongly advise Brendan Bouchard, phenomenal. Tony Robbins, I'm obsessed with him. So anyone should definitely listen to everything that Tony Robbins puts out there. And then I also think I've heard of some other really good ones. I know Mark and I are speaking at the Mommy Dentist in, I think it's in September. So those would be some good ones that I'd recommend for you guys for sure. Awesome. Please share an analogy that you use to communicate an idea to a patient. Mm, well, we did the windshield one. But I think I'll give you guys the insurance verbiage. That's my favorite one. Insurance is like a coupon or insurance is like a bucket of money. You get $1,000 per year or 1500 per year and you pull money out of that for every time you come to the dental office. And then after that, we get to find out a way to make the rest of this affordable for you. So I think when people understand that insurance is just a coupon or it's a bucket of money, (laughs) once it's gone, it's gone. But that doesn't mean we stop doing dentistry. Those are really, really, really good ways to help your patients understand insurance. Nice. I like it. Now, last question. If you had three pieces of advice for a new dentist or soon-to-be graduate, what would they be? I tell my doctors that are about to graduate from school because I used to work at the school setting, Use your fourth year as a residency, like go crazy. Learn everything you possibly can because the more you can do in school and under someone else's supervision, it's gonna make you better. You're going to be better 
all the way around. So make sure you watch that and, and you work on that. Go after those crazy root canals. Like learn to do it in school. Treat it like a residency, your fourth year of dental school. Go after those extractions. Do the implants. Restore the implants. Do the Invisalign. Learn to do that really, really well because that's going to make you a stronger producer when you're out in the field. And then tie yourself. Like pick up your speed because people don't want to be sitting in your chair forever. So although checks in dental school take forever, your actual dentistry time does not need to take that long. So I also would say new doctors, know your numbers, learn those. If you don't know how to do billing, go figure out how to do the billing. If you don't know the front office, we do, I call it front office in a box. That's not front office rocks, it's front office in a box. And it's learning how to be an office manager. Like what should you be doing? What are the KPIs you should hold your front office accountable to? Know those numbers forward and backwards. And if you need help, like shoot it over to the info at the dentalateam.com and I will help you with that. Because if you can know those numbers, know your benchmarks, but don't don't be lazy because not knowing your numbers makes you a very, very, very bad business owner because you're you're producing like a machine, but you don't know your profitability. So you're probably not taking home a great check just because you're not knowing your numbers. And then knowing that KPI at the front office, what you should be holding them accountable to really will empower you and make your life a lot easier by knowing those those things. Awesome. Well, Kira, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you for, I mean, we went over on time, but it was so awesome. And I had a great time just talking to you. I, I mean, if you've never met Kira, she is someone that has a lot of energy and I'm sure you know that by now, but it's all good energy and it's all positive. And I just want to commend you and congratulate you on all your success and all the cool things that you're doing in the industry right now. You're someone I very much respect and just want to say thank you for being on the podcast. Well, thank you. That was very kind of you. And likewise, I appreciate all you're doing and having me on this and letting me share with with your fans and your followers. So thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that.